Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 400K podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about uh, value, the differences between a independent uh, risk attorney amongst uh, other attorneys. Uh, but of course, first things first, go to that 4KSite.com. Um, about last week, I uh, on LinkedIn, I, I cryptically said, uh, you know, um, kind of like... As a part of what I do, and I'm going to have to stop it, it, you know, you have to know when it's time to go and um, know, you know, uh, just really when things have to come to an end. And uh, it's interesting, um, a lot of people commented on it, you know, they were concerned that, you know, I was going to uh, end my practice or end the podcast and it was it was very very telling that nobody guessed what I was talking about. And what I'm talking about is if you go to that foreigncasesite.com, right now we're scheduled to go to Oakland live and Detroit live. But uh, pretty soon, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the the live conferences are going to come to an end. Uh, never say never that I won't be doing them ever again. But um, I, I when I started these events in 2018. I said to myself, um, I'm going to do these as long as these are fun. I'm having fun doing it, and I'm just going to continue doing it. And uh, ever since COVID, uh, and we went back to live events, you know, it's just been been a struggle. Uh, It's not fun anymore for me. Um, They're not breaking even or turning a profit. It's a lot of work. And I just don't think that people have interest in attending them anymore. Um, I don't think people have an interest in sponsoring them anymore. And I think it's best to bow out. And again, I'm not saying that we'll never, ever do it again. Uh, if, you know, four or five, you know, DCIO or, or plane reps say, you know, Ari, we want you to do an event in New York. Or Ari, we want you to do an event in Dallas. You know, I'll do it. I'll consider it. And, um... But as far as me going out and saying, we're going to go here, we're going to go there, and trying to get support, I, I just can't do it anymore. Um, you know, the attendance has been has been an issue, but more importantly, it's been the sponsorship that's been the hardest part. When I was doing the event in 2018, and we did nine in 2019, we got good attendance. I always had uh, about four plant providers that were going around the country with me and, and doing it with me. And ever since COVID and people cutting back on budgets and, you know, not seeing any value in the events, I'm down to zero. So it's 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 very, very hard to find uh, plant providers interested in sponsoring it. And I, I think the impetus for this really was trying to book Yankee Stadium. Um for months, we've been trying to book it, and there was this woman who we were working with, and for weeks and weeks was going to get us pricing, get us pricing. She finally got us pricing, and it was just, yeah, is it doable? Yeah, but it's just, you know, it's just not fun anymore. Uh, I, I will miss it. Um, you know, you know, one or two of you will miss it, but it's, it's just, it's just not, just not working out. And, and maybe there'll be a time where it will work out. We'll see. But, you know, as far as doing these four to six events a year, I just can't do it anymore. If I could do one, that'd be great. 
but you know, at, at this moment, I don't think that uh, I don't think that, that that's uh, foreseeable. We'll see about Oakland, Detroit. Right now, support is very, very low. Um, whether I decide to pull the plug on it and not do a farewell, we'll see what happens. But uh, you know, it's, it's disappointing, but uh, it's what's best. And uh, you know, when the audience is saying we're not interested in this, I think you gotta you know take that to heart and kind of, like I said, move on and, you know, do something else. And we're going to be doing something else. We're going to go back to more of a virtual format, uh, that 41K virtual bunch. I think it's going to come back. We're going to do one on March the 9th. Uh, find the Zoom links on LinkedIn and the emails. Um, we're going to start by doing that again. Uh, I think the first episode is going to be the audience asking me anything, any questions whatsoever. It could be, you know, retirement plan related or, you know, a list of my favorite movies and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I think uh, eventually we're going to have those roundtables, uh, do it maybe once a month with a rotating group of retirement plan professionals, uh, mix it up. It was, uh, you know, we, we did that at the National 401k, the, the 401k National Virtual Convention Conference, I'm sorry, and it was a lot of fun. Um, it, we did an hour of it. We could have probably done two or three hours. It was that entertaining. And I liked it, talking to professionals. And I think we'll mix up the questions here and there. Where we'll ask silly questions. But we'll ask 401k-centric questions. But it was a lot of fun. And I think we'll do those you know, once a month. We can't compete with the entire holidays. You know, that's their business, and they do it once a week. But you know, something where we have a rotating crew, um, and it, it, it was just, uh, to me, a lot of a lot of fun and really easy to do. And, you know, you get a decent attendance for it or you put it on YouTube and it's always there and whatnot. So go to that 4 for further information on all our events. And let's get to the topic at hand, which is the value of an independent risk attorney. Um, you know, when I was a kid, my parents would take me to the doctor often. Like, uh, my, my mother didn't believe in it in the sense that if you go to the doctor, it means you're really, really sick. And she was the type of person who would go, like, 20-some-odd years, um, you know, between doctor visits for herself. And, you know, I'm a little bit different, um, probably because of the influence of my life. But, you know, I'm not a doctor, uh, despite what my mother wanted me to be. Um, best thing to do is put your hand, you know, put your kid's health in the hands of the medical professionals that could treat it. And I'm still surprised, again, how many uh, plan sponsors, you know, have a plan and they don't use an ERISA attorney. They rely on, you know, non-ERISA attorneys. They rely on TPA ERISA attorneys. So, you know, this is really my input about independent risk attorneys and TPA attorneys, because I've done both, you know, nine years as a TPA attorney, and now, hard to believe, um, April will be 13 years that I've been on my own uh, as an independent risk attorney. And why do you need an risk attorney? Obviously, qualified retirement plans, you know, have to adhere to inter the Internal Revenue Code and ERISA, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think most plan sponsors only pick an ERISA attorney out there when there's something that goes wrong. Um, and, you know, the plan sponsors are just, you know, reactive. They're not proactive. And a lot of times when they call an ERISA attorney for help, it's too late. The 
plan's been disqualified or the plan's been audited and a lot of problems are going on. Uh, you know, the use of an ERISA attorney can certainly be a valuable preventive measure that, that will save the plan sponsored money and minimize the liability. I will say, and I, I think I did write it uh, once, that uh, sometimes the biggest roadblock to plan sponsors hiring me is from non-ERISA attorneys. So if somebody has corporate counsel, they want to, you know, they want to do a plan review and the corporate counsel says, ah, I don't, I don't think that's necessary. Which is kind of funny because, again, uh, non-ERISA attorneys don't know anything about ERISA. It's its own different world. Always reminds me when I was at Myers-Wazza and Richard Klein, that semi-prestigious law firm on Long Island, um, Joe Swazi, Honorable Joseph Swazi, former judge, and his son was Tom Swazi, who was in Congress, was the Nassau County Executive at one point as well, and a two-time uh, losing candidate for governor, and a nice guy who uh, I, so I've seen a couple times, and I saw him at a Knicks Clipper game, where he was just very, very friendly. Um, but uh, Judge Swazi was in his 80s, still working, comes to me and says, oh, what do you do? And I said, I'm an arrest attorney. He says, well, I don't know anything about that. And he just walked away from me. That's the only time I ever talked to Judge Swazi in the two years I worked there. But Judge Swazi knew. Listen, it's its own different world. It's its own different animal. I'm not going to get in the way of an arrest attorney. Speaking of that law firm, um, I understand why people don't like arrest attorneys or people don't like attorneys at all. The billable hour. Um, McCullough versus Maryland a famous Supreme Court case about which was pretty much about the supremacy of the United States over a, a state law uh, with the uh, state of Maryland trying to tax the Bank of the United States. Uh, uh, Chief Justice Marshall said the power to tax is the power to destroy. And I think the power to bill by the hour is the power to destroy. Um, I think that, you know, uh, attorneys, because you know, their value in a law firm's eyes is by their billable hours and not the quality of the work, uh, I think that people fudge their hours. Um, you know, I was kind of told that I didn't bill excessively. Um, and then when I did bill excessively, the, the client had a problem with the bill. But um, I don't like to bill by the hour. Uh, I like to tell people front how much things are going to cost. They seem to like it as well. But, uh, you know... I've seen law firms, you know, charge for postage and copies and faxes, and I think that that's kind of uh, cheap. Uh, I think it's silly. You're already, you know, gouging them with a $500 an hour charge. Could you at least pay for the postage? I mean, that's how I see it. Um, you know, um, I had one time an advisor tell me that uh, one of his clients... Uh, um, it, you know, one of one of, uh, advisor had one of his clients get in a you know, top to bottom legal review, and it was a hundred grand. Um, so you know, I, I I'm a big fan of flat fees outside of uh, plan audit by the IRS or DOL. I do everything by 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 project based, and clients like that they like it up front. They know how much it's going to cost them. And as someone who's had to hire attorneys in the past. There's nothing worse than at the end of the month, and you see why that, you know, you're trying to guess what that bill is, and you always underguess what the cost is. Um, when it comes time to, you know, dealing with retirement plans, obviously TPA firms have their own legal departments. Some, um, some 
people in the legal department are lawyers, some are not. Um, I don't look down on paralegals. Uh, one of the smartest people I ever met uh, was a paralegal, Marge, um, who kind of taught me everything I knew for, you know, Arissa, um, you know, working for Harvey Berman many years ago. Uh, Mayling Diaz, who's a paralegal out in Florida. Um, I've known her, you know, working for a couple of um, TPA firms out in Florida. She works now at EJ Reynolds, so shout out to her. Uh, not an attorney, but she's brilliant. She's better than most attorneys. She knows her stuff. But, um, you know, obviously, you know, Mei Ling can draft plan documents and amendments, and she's great at that. She can't represent a client before the IRS and the DOL. Um, she's not an enrolled agent. She's not an attorney. So, um, you know, again, um, she has the uh, correct experience to draft plan documents, but she's not an attorney. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, it's just amazing sometimes um, when you have people who are not attorneys who and don't have the experience of a May Ling or Marsh Tracy and they draft plan documents and they're just done incorrectly and TPA is trying to disclaim, you know, all the issues and problems as a result and try to explain away why they made a mistake. But, um, you know, independent risk attorney doesn't have such issues. And again, uh, you know, I'm an risk attorney. I could do pretty much anything I want when it comes to ERISA. Uh, somebody who works for a TPA legal department, again, may not be an ERISA attorney. So that could be an issue. If there's an IRS deal audit, <clears throat> BCP submission, all that kind of good stuff. Um, the attorney-client privilege, obviously, uh, I was a TPA's attorney. Um you know, I still had my law license, but I wasn't acting as an attorney in the capacity for plan sponsors. Uh, essentially, my client was a TPA, so I was looking out for the TPA's interest. I wasn't looking out for my client's best interest, the plan sponsor. Uh, you know, when we put out fires that our administrators caused, you know, the hat I was wearing was clearly to, you know, stop the bleeding of the TPA. Um, you know, I would draft new plain documents, gave a favorable determination later, letter, and all that stuff. Um, you know, and I've had issues, uh, I, again, with this TPA that I used to work with, and I uh, used to work for, and I left, uh, not under the best circumstances, cause, because I did decide to leave, and, um, you know, unfortunately, they had to replace me with three people instead of just one, so they were not happy with me. But I was helping plan sponsors fix errors that my TPA was doing. Um, you know, stuff like, uh, you know, fixing issues with uh, market value adjustments on um, stable value uh, changes and, um, and you know, uh, top-heavy stuff. So I was kind of like the phantom menace, be consulting uh, some of my former clients on the TPA side as independent risk attorney and getting these problems resolved that I certainly could um, resolve as the TPA's attorney. So, uh, you know, again, uh, I just, you know, I had a client uh, who I work with as a TPA. I changed hats, went on my own, and, you know, helped him fix a top-heavy test that was done uh, completely incorrect. Um, you know, again, uh, 
you're dealing with an administrator who had, you know, 15 years experience and it was, she was just terrible at what she did. Um, you know, a law firm is usually named after the, you know, partners, specific name partners. And, um, you know, there was, as part of this law firm, one of the name partners, his daughter and wife worked for the firm and the, um, the administrator didn't tag them as key employees as they should have. Uh, that was a big problem. They owed like 28 grand for, you know, top heavy, uh, especially when they changed TPA. So I had to fix them and get a refund for the work that was screwed up by that TPA, which again was my former employer. Uh, obviously independent risk attorneys like myself, we don't see our work as ancillary. Obviously, uh, TPAs offer legal services because it's a good way to make a quick buck. Uh, but it's ancillary to what they do, which is, you know, their their bills are really being paid by day-to-day -day plan administration. Um, and obviously, uh, independent risk attorney is a check and balance on what a TPA does. It's just uh, another, you know, eyes and ears to, 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 you know, to make sure things are done correctly. Uh, I will, you know, that was always my big shtick at the beginning when I started my own practice was, you know, you shouldn't have somebody wear all the hats. And it was really a, a knock against producing TPAs. And again, I thought producing TPAs back in the day before fee disclosure was a, um, a weapon of mass destruction for plant sponsors because a producing TPA could pick the best revenue sharing paying funds and they didn't have to tell the, the plant sponsors, you know, hey, this is how much money I'm making on revenue sharing. That's how I see it. And uh, again, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, checks and balances, not least, um, you know, I, I, I think that uh, an independent risk attorney is, you know, part of a big piece of a puzzle. Um, you know, they, they can certainly, you know, not just be an risk attorney, but also be a trusted advisor on the plan and uh, be given, uh, you know, uh, insights and advice that sometimes is not about the legal uh, consequences and circumstances of retirement plan. Um, and I, I think with that, you know, again, uh, it's funny right now I, I work for a, uh, I, I work for the board of a independent private school, uh, as, as an attorney, not an ERISA attorney, but as an attorney dealing with HR issues and whatnot. And they were just happy with my expertise and the way I handle things that, you know, right now I'm working with them going through an HR disaster with, uh, with the principal and whatnot. So there's a, you know, obviously, uh, you, you, obviously hire an ERISA attorney, independent one, they could certainly be a trusted advisor and opine about things that maybe don't have to do with just the nuts and bolts of retirement plan issues, but just the day-to-day -day administration and some of, uh, again, some of the HR issues that, you know, go hand in hand with a 401k plan. So, uh, uh, that's it for this episode of that 4K podcast. Go to that 4KSite.com for further information on all our events. And again, I know that people, uh, one or two people will be bummed out that, you know, we're probably not going to be doing live events anymore. But again, all good things must come to an end. And, uh, you know, um, with the way it's going and DCIO budgets cut and just really, you know, uh, just, you know, I'm, I'm not Napa. I can't bring in an audience of a thousand advisors that, uh, We'll have to figure out something else uh, that can work and, you know, can certainly help my practice because right now it's too much work and uh, just, 
not a lot of fun. So again, um, I hope you tune in for another episode of that 401k podcast and uh, take care. And again, that 401 site.com for further information on all our events. Thanks. Bye.